Hello, I am Miss McKean, and welcome back for our second season of Body Talk at South Putnam. We have a new group of students this year excited to share their group research into topics related to different body systems. For our first episode this season, we have explored the integumentary system. Each group chose their own topic to research and learn about before presenting it to you. We hope you learn a little something and enjoy this dive into the integumentary system. Our first group is going to explain what the integumentary system is. In this segment, we are going to be talking about the basic structure to the integumentary system. This system is one of the largest organs in the entire body. It consists of the skin, hair, nails, and exocrine glands. The whole main job of the integumentary system is to protect what's underlying the skin. Within the system, there are several different layers. One of these layers is the epidermis. This is just the visible part of the skin. It consists of 40 to 50 layers of squamous epithelial cells. These are made up of mostly keratinocytes and melanocytes. Melanocytes are what produce pigment in the skin. The epidermis consists of four layers, the stratum basale, stratum spinosum, stratum granulosum, and the stratum lucidum. In the stratum basale, it attaches the epidermis to the basal lamina. In the stratum spinosum, the cells shrink, shrink during fixation. The stratum granulosum, just under that layer, forms a waterproof barrier which concedes with the next layer of the skin. The stratum lucidum layer, which is made up of dead skin cells and uses the water barrier most. The final layer is the stratum corneum. It is the outermost top layer of the skin that is exposed to the outside environment. It helps prevent disease and bacteria from penetrating the skin and also helps in the protection of abrasion. The dermis is the layer just under the epidermis. It gives the skin its strength and elasticity. The dermis is made up of connective tissue and consists of oil and sweat glands, nerves, and hair follicles. The dermis has two layers. The thinnest layer is known as the papillary layer and the reticular layer is the thickest. The papillary layer is known to supply nutrients. This layer also helps fight bacteria and other infections that try to invade our skin. The reticular layer is made up of elastin fibers. This is the part of the dermis that provides most of its elasticity which aids in movement. Composed of dense, irregular connective tissue, this is the thickest layer in the dermis. The dermis's main role is to provide an extra layer of protection. It aids in sensations and is considered the core of the integumentary system. The third and final layer of the skin is the hypodermis, or most famously known as the subcutaneous layer. This layer's main function is to connect the skin to muscles and bones. Made up of adipose tissue, the subcutaneous layer aids in cushioning and insulation for the body.
Hey everyone, it's the Atomic Trio, and welcome to our first podcast. Today we are going to talk about hair follicles. What are hair follicles? I'm glad you asked, Marcus. A hair follicle is a tunnel-shaped structure in the epidermis, which is the outer layer of our skin. Hair starts growing at the bottom of the hair follicle. The root of the hair is made up of protein cells and is nourished by blood from nearby blood vessels. So is that what causes like imbalances and baldness? Actually, yes. Baldness, it can be a result of heredity, hormonal changes, medical conditions, or just a normal part of aging. Anyone can lose hair on their head, but it's more common in men. Baldness typically refers to the excessive hair loss from your scalp. Hereditary hair loss with age is the most common cause of baldness. So what are hair follicles responsible for? Well, Brianna, hair follicles aren't just responsible for how much your hair grows. They also influence what your hair looks like. The shape of your follicle determines how curly your hair is. Just like mine. Circular hair follicles produce straight hair, while oval follicles produce curly hair. Hair follicles also play a part in determining the color of your hair. As with skin, your hair gets its pigment from the presence of melanin. There are two types of melanin, eumelanin and pheomelanin. Hair follicles can also be used by law enforcement for drug tests. The hair drug tests have the longest detection period and can typically detect drug use for up to 90 days. Depending on the drugs used, a hair sample can sometimes help determine when drug use occurred and whether it has been discontinued. Some common drugs hair follicles are used to determine are marijuana, cocaine, amphetamines, and opioids such as heroin, codeine, and morphine. So that's a wrap for our first podcast. Thank you for joining us and learning about hair follicles. Join us next time for our fun-filled adventure. Say you are cutting up an apple and accidentally cut yourself. The wound is going to need to heal, but what exactly happens during this time? Well, wound healing is a multi-step process undergone when you get something like a cut on your finger. Wound healing happens in four major phases. The first step is hemiostasis, also in simpler words known as clotting. This step is to stop and further prevent bleeding. This happens to keep the blood within the damaged blood vessel. This phase can last anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours long. After this step, inflammation happens. This is a step to further prevent the bleeding and stop infections. Things such as damaged cells, pathogens, and bacteria are removed from the wound area. The third step is proliferation. In this step, the wound is covered up or built up with new tissue made of collagen and extracellular matrix. In more words, the wound contracts and new tissue is made on top. This lasts anywhere from 4 to 21 days. The fourth and final step of wound healing is remodeling, also known as the maturation phase. 
This is where the tissue is made stronger over the new tissue and fibers are being reorganized. Even though it is not a seen process, it takes the longest, lasting for 21 days up to two years. All the time in the wound healing process can depend on the hygiene of the wound, prior health conditions, and the intensity of the wound. Next time you scrape your knee or get a cut on your arm, you can look at it and think of the four-step process of wound healing. Hey, welcome to this segment. Today we are talking about the most common thing in people, acne. Weird, I know, but it's common. We all know acne is one of the most common skin conditions. So what exactly is acne? Like, can you give us a clear definition? Well, so you see, acne is when hair follicles under your skin becomes clogged with dirt, oils, and other particles. So, Allison, around what age do you commonly get acne, and where do you commonly see it on the body? So, teenagers aged 10 to 19 are more common to get acne during puberty. Acne appears above the skin, on the face, back, shoulders, chest, and sometimes the arms and legs. Acne does show up in babies, but it's not common. It happens, and it does stay with adults sometimes. So, how do you treat it and prevent it is easy. You wash your hands before touching your face. Wash your face at least twice a day. There are medicines and creams to prevent it if it progresses. There are do's and don'ts that come with acne. You do want to use it over ice over pimples. Keep your hands away from areas that have acne. Moisturize daily. Keep in touch with your dermatologist if acne progresses. Acne is an infection under the skin, so you don't want to squeeze or pop pimples to avoid spreading the infection. Don't wash your face too much or use alcohol or peroxide. Don't get too much sun. Acne is just one skin condition that the integumentary system has. There are many more. Thank you for listening to our segment. See you next time. Hey guys, it's Bree. It's Lily here. <laughs> and Bailey. And today we're going to be talking about skin cancer. So we're going to start off with an overview. So skin cancer is an abnormal growth of skin cells caused by prolonged exposure to UV light from the sun with no protection. The UV enters your skin cells and harms your DNA, preventing your cells from regulating their growth and causing cancer and cancerous growths. There are three types of skin cancer, basal cell carcinoma, which is pearly or waxy bumps, a flat or flesh-colored or brown scar-like lesion, a bleeding or scabbing sore that heals and returns. The second kind is squamous cell carcinoma, which is firm red nodules or flat lesions with scaly or crusty surface. Final one is melanoma, a large brown spot with dark with darker speckles or a mole that changes color, size, or feel, or that bleeds, or a small lesion with an irregular, irregular border and portions that appear red, white, pink, blue, or black-blue, and finally a painful lesion that itches or burns.
They can develop anywhere that's high, heavily exposed to UV radiation without protection. And some of the risk factors include fair skin. So obviously, if you have fair skin, you're more likely to get a burn. History of sunburns, excessive sun exposure, sunny or high-altitude climates, family history of skin cancer, or weakened immune system. But there are ways to protect yourself. So some of you may know that sunscreen has been proven to decrease your risk of skin cancers and skin precancers. Um, regular daily use of SPF, SPF 15 can reduce your risk of developing squamous cell carcinoma by about 40%, while it can lower your melanoma risk by 50%. The active ingredients in sunscreen help prevent the sun's UV radiation from reaching your skin. Physical ingredients like titanium oxide and zinc oxide block and scatter the rays before they penetrate your skin. And the chemical ingredients such as avobenzone and octisolate absorb the UV rays. And you also want to keep in mind that your skin type and family history will determine your level of protection you need. Um, did you guys know <laughs> that UV rays from the sun can reach you on a cloudy and gloomy day, not just when it's sunny outside? UV rays also reflect off surfaces like water, cement, sand, and snow. Also, most sunscreens only include product labels about information against UVB, which are the rays that cause sunburn and not UVA, the rays that can cause tanning and premature aging. Since UVA rays are dangerous and well-known, broad-spectrum sunscreen is essential to buy because it provides information <laughs> on protection against UVB and UVA rays. So that's all we have for you today, but just remember that when you're going out on a sunny day to wear that sunscreen and protect yourself from those harmful UV rays. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Brought to you by Daniel Bunton, Tanner Smithers, Ethan Wallace, and Lincoln Hochstetler, and narrated by Caleb Heat about Hansen's disease. Modern medicine has allowed us to defeat many different diseases that afflicted humanity in the past. One such disease is Hansen's disease, or better known by its other name, leprosy. Leprosy is a gruesome disease that causes infected to slowly lose chunks of their skin until their limbs fall apart, leaving only bone. The World Health Organization says, leprosy, also known as Hansen's disease, is a chronic infectious disease caused by Mycobacterium leprae. The disease mainly affects the skin, the peripheral nerves, mucosal surfaces of the upper respiratory tract, and the eyes. Leprosy is known to occur at all ages ranging from early infancy to very old age. Leprosy is curable and treatment in the early stages can prevent disability. It isn't exactly known when and where Hansen's disease first appeared, but it most likely appeared first in ancient Egypt. Sanford University History webpage says, the earliest possible account of, of, the, of a disease that many scholars believe is leprosy appears in an Egyptian papyrus document written around 1550 BC. Around 600 BC, Indian writings describe a disease that resembles leprosy. In Europe, leprosy first appeared, appeared in records of ancient Greece after the army of Alexander the Great came back from India and then Rome in 62 BC, coinciding with the term return of Pompey's troops from Asia Minor. The spread of Hansen's disease is still a mystery today. Historically, the only treatment for leprosy was strict isolation from, of those afflicted. 
usually in their own separate communities. The CDC says it will not it is not known exactly how Hansen's disease is spread between people. Scientists currently think it may happen when the person with Hansen's disease coughs or sneezes and a healthy person believes in the droplets containing the bacteria. Prolonged close contact with someone with untreated leprosy over the, over many months is needed to catch the disease. While modern medicine has helped eliminate leprosy almost entirely in developed nations, not every nation possesses the modern medical technology, which means leprosy is still an issue in third world countries today. WebMD.com says, Today, about 208,000 people worldwide are infected with leprosy, according to the World Health Organization. Most of them are in Africa and Asia.